0: up on today's show danielle smith she was once the leader of the wild rose she wants to be the leader of ucp we'll talk with her about her ambition we'll also get the latest canada has announced that huawei and zte will be banned in canada what does it mean we'll chat with gordon holden about that and we'll get some really fascinating information about wolverines premier jason Kenney. and yes he is still the uh premier um before going into caucus today, or as he went into caucus today, he, apparently he was greeted with a standing ovation, um, and he's giving a speech talking about you know the future and inflation and oil and pipelines and all. It's it's, it's kind of strange. I'm, I'm not sure. We know he's staying on until a new leader has been named. Um, what's it going to look like in the interim? Will he run for the new leader? I, I I don't know. Still a lot of questions. Hopefully we get somebody can pin him down. And I should mention he's going to be on the air doing your province, your premier tomorrow morning at ten a.m. So ask him. Somebody call him and ask him. What are your plans? In the meantime, we do know the plans of Danielle Smith. Our old friend Danielle announcing yesterday that she is in and running for leadership of the UCP party. We we expected that she might, and now it's been confirmed. Danielle, thanks for joining us. Good to talk again. It's been a while.
1: My pleasure. It has been. It's just like old times. Nice to talk to you again, Shane.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, your announcement yesterday, I mean, you made it pretty clear your intentions going back a while ago. First of all, just give us your take on what happened on Wednesday with the 51.4%. Were you surprised by that? And do you think Kenny made the right decision in saying, you know, that's just. It's not enough for me to carry on
1: you know i i thought he was i i went on the air uh, on a podcast thing i thought it was going to be 43 percent. so i was expecting him to actually get a lower level of support i've been traveling the province quite a bit over the last number of months, and i 've seen this groundswell of the anger and I think the the premier and the premier 's team misjudged j- just how betrayed Albertans feel and how hurt people feel and how much they want an apology and they 're just not getting it so the fact that he got fifty one percent I suppose surprised me i thought he I thought because he 'd been setting the table to stay. If he got uh, over fifty percent, I actually was initially expecting that he'd would say he would stay on. I, I think he's done the right thing, realizing that that amount of division is just too much to overcome, and so uh, he made the announcement that night that he was going to go. It could well be now that those who who wanted him to leave are 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 uh, they're angry that he's he's staying around and until the uh, the new leadership is chosen. But that again is not all that unusual in the tradition. Yes, it's happening. Been before yeah so going back to don getty and uh i don't know how um i i think the only one was uh, allison redford who who left immediately the challenge when you when you replace a leader in a governing party is they instantly become premier. And when you look at that caucus, the ones that have the most profile and most expertise are probably ones who are going to run for the replacement leader. So Travis Taves and Rajan Sani and Doug Schweitzer and Sonia Savage. I think these would all be excellent candidates for leadership. And so by trying to have an interim leader, you end up perhaps blocking out some of your best candidates for running. So I could argue it either way. I I, I just said I'd leave it to caucus to decide, and that was the decision that they made. And keep in mind, the premier's only going to be in the legislature, I think, for two more weeks. There's a little bit of a legislative session to wrap up. Then we're into summer, and we don't go back into session until October. And I'd fully expect that the leadership race would be wrapped up by then. So I'm I'm not too fussed about that.
0: Do you you have any idea on a timeline, uh, Danielle? I mean, obviously, the sooner the better, I would think, for the party's purposes. Um, When do you want to see this done by
1: I think it has to be done and the new leader has to be in place by the time we go back into session in the fall, which is normally the last week of October, because if we're going to see an election at the end of November, a general election, there needs to be two full legislative terms for the new leader to put their stamp on the party and to show the direction. So you get a first chance of doing that with the fall economic update and the fall legislative session. You get a second chance to do that in the spring with a, because you have to start planning as well for what the, the, the new budget is. Is going to be so that you can show what the new direction of the government is going to be. So I would anticipate they couldn't go much longer than the, the beginning of October, and so that they're they're ready and uh, uh, to to go with the with the new leadership and a new team as soon as the legislature reopens. The other thing they'd be, I guess, working around is the federal leadership contest. Yeah. But at the federal level, they have a mail-in ballot and they have to have all the lead all the memberships sold by June the third. So I'm not sure that the federal contest should really affect the. Time Timing of our contest here. It's, you is—you can't really do too much more in the way of organizing once that leadership, once that the, those memberships sell, so or once the membership cutoff happens. So it could be—it could be around the same time. It could, be, could be could be in September. When I look at the last couple of leadership races, they've been about three to four months. So that's what I would hope to see.
0: Um, Danielle, what's the vision that you have for the UCP party? The question a lot of people are asking right now is: there can there be a United Conservative Party in Alberta anymore? Fifty-one point four percent couldn't be any clearer. The caucus is split. The province is split. Do you still hold out hope that there can be one united conservative voice in the province of Alberta? Are those days gone?
1: I sure do. I mean, I I took a lot of heat for my decision to, to try to unify the party the wrong way when Jim Prentice and I tried to do it in 2014. But, and you know, we can all argue about whether it could have turned out differently if we hadn't made that decision. As it turned out, we both got uh, lambasted by the public for it. But what the reality is today is that the left is unified under the NDP and under Rachel Motley and is formidable. And she's been polling at 40 to 45 percent all the way through the last three years. And so if, you, if we see this movement break apart, it just means we'll see an NDP government. Yeah. And so I don't want to see that. Brian doesn't want to see that. In uh, in Saskatchewan, I've, I've noticed that the brand new party has started up. Saskatchewan United, they're calling it. So you are seeing the conservative movement fracture there. I think if the Premier hadn't made the decision to step down, we would be following the same track. So I think both Brian and I want to do what we can to keep the movement together. Because uh, we've had one term an NDP government. For a lot of the people I talk to, one term is enough. They don't, they don't want to see them come back. And so that's part of the reason why I've decided to put my name in is, I, I think I can, uh, it certainly in Southern Alberta and the, the, the great friendships I've made over the years in both the PC party, legacy party, and the Wild Rose legacy party, I think I can I can play a role in trying to keep the, the vote from splitting and the and the party from
0: dividing. Um, and, Danielle, what's the plan? Okay, if Daniel Smith does not win leadership of this party in the fall or whenever it may happen, is that it? Does it all no, go away? Oh no, Do you, or are you going to stay on and be a good team player in the UCP, whoever's running it?
1: Uh, 100%. I mean, the nice part about a leadership contest, as we can see at the federal level, is that it brings out a lot of different ideas so that you can have robust debate. And that is a really healthy process. I'm hearing that they've, they've sold more memberships at the federal level than they ever have. And that's what we need to do. I, I would hope there's 10 candidates in. We've sold 20,000 memberships. We have a, a robust discussion about the future of Alberta. And then in the end, we'll, we'll have a consensus about what the United Conservative Party vision should be. I, I've already said I want to run in Livingston cloud have started my campaign down here i'll be running regardless um I've, I've even talked to brian g and i said hey let the best person win and if you win i'd be happy to serve under you so i'm i'm gonna i'm going to be in because i think one of the issues that we face with this ucp caucus is they're all pretty green and they don't have much experience and so Someone who's a little, uh, little older, a little more experienced in the role might be able to, to help provide some caucus leadership as well so we can get a better balance. I think that's one of the well, things that's been missing over the last few years is is the voice of the grassroots MLA. And that's another reason I want, to, I want to be back in there.
0: On the other side of that question, Danielle, you've got you and you've got Brian Jean. You know, you've got ties to the Wild Rose and, and then history with the Wild Rose Party. Do you need... I mean, Jason Kenney calls it the progressive, the more centrist wing of the party that seems to be at war right now. Um, You've got you and Brian on the one side. I would say, do you hope um, that you see more voices from the other side so this can once and for all be settled as to which direction the UCP wants to go?
1: I hope we see a lot of voices in this race. I mean, my, I started off as a progressive conservative. I was the campus club president at the U of C in 1992, and I stayed a progressive conservative all the way up until 2008 when I thought that they went off the rails. And so I've got I've got great friendships among my PC friends, great friendships among my Wild Rose friends, and I was delighted at the at the convention to see that there's a real cordiality and a, I think a real unification that's happened at the grassroots member, uh, membership level, but I think that the, the leadership in the last couple of years just might not have been uh, paying as close attention to the grassroots voice as, as he needed to, and that's part of the reason he, he got himself into trouble. So I think the party is, itself is the right vehicle, and now uh, we just need to make sure that we've got some... Um, some experienced MLAs who are in there to show some leadership of, among the, the the grassroots and among their their caucus colleagues, and then we'll see who the new leader would be. I mean, I I think if you want the truth about where we need to go, one of the big problems everyone talks about the the COVID response, and that was certainly one mm-hmm. problem that you can't you can't go out and say we'll never have vaccine passports, no way, no how. We're amending the act so that there's no vaccine mandates, and then bring in vaccine mandates. I think that that was Just a step too far, a little bit too late in the process when people were looking at what was happening down in Florida and South Dakota and Texas and saying, well, they're actually going in a different direction. Why aren't we? So I think certainly that's one problem. But the bigger problem is that we expected that we were going to see some action after the equalization vote, that we were going to get really tough with Justin Trudeau. And I'm glad to see the premier's been fighting these things through the courts. Uh, we need to start implementing some of that agenda to to take back our autonomy. The federal government keeps on pushing itself into our areas of jurisdiction, and we don't push back. We've got to push back. And so I think that that's going to form a a very strong part of not only my campaign, but the campaign of some of the other leadership
0: candidates. Yeah, I think that'll, that'll be a bedrock platform playing for sure. Danielle, we are out of time, unfortunately, but I appreciate you joining us. And we'll do this again as the leadership race goes along. Always nice to chat. My pleasure. You bet. Thanks, Jay. Thanks, Danielle. That is Danielle Smith. Um, who has announced that she is in. She's in the running for leadership of the UCP, along with Brian Jean. Those are our two confirmed candidates to this point. We
1: are announcing our intention to prohibit the inclusion of Huawei and ZTE's products and services in Canada's telecommunications systems. This follows a full review by our security agencies, and in consultation with our closest
0: allies. Canada's Innovation, Science, and Industry Minister, Francois-Philippe Champagne, making the announcement yesterday that um, Huawei and uh, ZTE would be banned from Canada's telecommunications network. Um, actually makes us the last of the Five Eyes Alliance, you know, the U.S., the U.K., Australia, New Zealand, Canada, all four Uh, besides Canada, had made this decision some time ago. It took years for Canada to get here. Although, by all accounts, most people thought eventually we would. It just took a lot longer than we thought. So why did we make the decision? What does it mean? And do we have to be fearful of some sort of retaliation? To walk through all of that, we have Gordon Holden joining us now. Uh, Gordon is Director Emeritus of the China Institute, Professor of Political Science, and an Adjunct Professor of the Alberta School of Business at the University of Alberta. And if you ask me... The best China expert you can find. Gordon, thanks for joining us again. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Um, okay, so the decision, it took us years. Why were we so far behind, Gordon, in saying Huawei can't operate in Canada?
2: Well, there was a, a combination of, of reasons, I believe. It was complicated. Like a lot of things are. Uh, to begin with, two separate agencies came to different conclusions. CSIS was against Huawei probably from the get-go, and I'm pretty confident it was um, advocating its exclusion from any Canadian networks. On the other hand, CSC, the Canadian Security Establishment um, uh, agency, um, said that they thought the risk could be managed, so they had to sort out internally those those two differing opinions. Secondly, um, and but it took a while. But once we got into the two Michael situation as well, then I think there was a concern on the part of government to not take that step at a time when it might affect the prospects for freedom for the two Michaels of reaching some Mm -hmm. sort of deal. Those are the reasons. Now, whether that was good policy or not is another question, but I think those are the reasons, and I think perhaps a residual idea to not deepen the bad relationship with China. But now we have this decision, ironically, just a day after uh, China lifted finally the ban on two canola Canola
0: companies that were trading into China. Um, so when we take a look at this, there was immense pressure from our allies to go ahead and get this done. What's the risk? Why have the alliance, uh, has the alliance said, you know what, we're not letting you operate in our territory? What is the risk that people, I mean, it's surveillance, right?
2: It's surveillance, and I, I think these are tremendously complicated issues. However, and for some time, the government, for example, has not allowed um, suppliers such as Huawei or, or ZTE to put in um, equipment is a government, uh, government network, government networks, that is. But there is a concern as with 5G and as these systems and the degree of of um, reliance on the Internet and on, on uh, telecom equipment increases exponentially over time, that there would be opportunities for China or for Chinese intelligence agencies to gather information or even perhaps in a time of crisis to take steps that might impede normal functioning of our electronic system. So these are background concerns, um, but they're real. So the Five Eyes, they, uh, our closest allies, uh, four of them had, had taken this step. They were also not, do, didn't do this all at the same time. Europe, the rest of Europe's all over the map, some having virtually no restrictions on using Huawei. Others have varying levels of restrictions, such as, as France and Germany. But I think this was probably inevitable, It just seemed to take a very long time uh, to reach the decision. I've given some reasons why, but it still is a little bit puzzling that we have been out of step with our allies for so long.
0: Now, the question now, and a lot of people talking about this, of course, is, okay, what happens next? Now we're going to get some retaliation from China. Some people say, no, they're not going to do anything. Where where do you fall on that? What can we expect in response from the Chinese government?
2: Well, certainly uh, there will be, in our expressions of unhappiness over the decision... However, I actually think in this instance, at the point of time where we are right now, China had already probably come to the conclusion that this was going to be the decision that was coming down the tubes. Our major telecom uh, telecom providers had already, just by the non-decision, forced to use other equipment uh, from countries such as Ericsson uh, or Nokia. And and so I think the the writing was on the wall. Uh, As well, with the two Michaels and Meng Wanzhou now out of the picture, well, I think those memories still linger, but out of the picture, China's been engaged in a low-key effort to improve the relationship. Uh, I think that uh, the Canola decision was part of that, although they're also for economic reasons for China to do so. So I think that the prospects of serious retaliation, other than than complaints, are fairly modest. I think that this This has been something already baked in in Chinese thinking. They knew this was coming, perhaps not when. They might have hoped that it wouldn't come. But I think now I I would be surprised to see major retaliation. Now, it certainly won't help. If you're a Canadian company trying to get a contract with a uh, province in China, this won't help, certainly. But I don't see major retaliation at this point, at least while China's trying to improve the relationship.
0: Yeah, so the minister was asked yesterday, what about security of Canadians in China or Chinese or Canadian businesses in China? You don't see any risk to Canadian citizens in China like we saw with, you know, the two Michaels or anything like that just being plucked off the street.
2: Well, I've got, one could never know for sure. Yeah. And uh, my, my crystal ball is usually pretty cloudy. Uh, however, um, I don't think that the two Michaels situation worked out particularly well for China. Uh, at any point in that long drawn out, well, three-year-long struggle, they could have arrested many more. We've got probably at times 50,000 Canadians in the, in the mainland, another 300,000 in Hong Kong. They could have uh, upped the ante and arrested 100, 200, whatever. The options were always there. In fact, they didn't, I think, telegraph to me that this wasn't working as they might have hoped. I think they hoped that this would lead to a quick resolution. Meng Wanzhou would be sent back straight mm-hmm. away. Didn't happen. So I'm not sure they're going to turn to that. Now, having said that, there's very few Canadians traveling to China now, of course, um, but there are many resident there. Uh, it's always prudent to make sure you're following local regulations assiduously. It's good advice anywhere abroad, but it's especially good advice in in China.
0: Uh, While I've got you, last question. Uh, China, I think, in a lot of ways, is seen as something of a wild card with this Ukraine-Russia situation. Where are they? What are they doing in the background? What's your take on China's role in what's going on in Ukraine right now?
2: Well, no, clearly, China's sympathies are with Russia. Um, However, I think that they were taken aback by the scale of of the Russian attack, by the ambitions of the Russian attack, that is, conquering or attempting to conquer most of Ukraine, including its capital, Uh, they are themselves uh, nervous about um, sanctions that might affect them. So to my knowledge, China has not been supplying weapons. They continue to trade, of course. They're getting uh, hydrocarbons, oil and gas at um, probably bargain rates at this point because Russia is rather desperate for, for revenue. They're still operating there. But many Chinese firms have ceased operating because they are, including actually Huawei, from my understanding. They're afraid. If they trade now with Russia, they're going to get caught up in a, in a sanctions mess. And they've got bigger fish to fry. They operate all over the world. So, so far, at least, China has been, while sympathetic to Russia, um, has not been aiding the war ever. Right. And for the time being, I think that will stay.
0: Gordon, always uh, incredible insight. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. I really appreciate it. So we're going to have a discussion here about wolverines and um, how they're doing, what we could be doing better with our wolverine population, and we'll get we'll just get a little education about these amazing animals. To do that with us. We have Aaron Jacob joining us, who is an adjunct professor, Department of Ecosystem Science and Management, at the University of Northern British Columbia. Aaron, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you joining us today. Thank you very much. I mean, how common are wolverines? Sarah and I haven't seen them. Now, I mean, she lives in two hills, which I jokingly said is the woods. It's not. (laughs) It's a small town. I'm from the big city. So, I mean, is it common to see a wolverine if you are spending time in the outdoors? You know, it is
3: not common to see a wolverine. And many wolverine biologists have never seen one in real life. This is, and even though they used to live all across Canada, you know, most people have never seen one. I bet you might have come across wolverine tracks if you spend time up in the mountains and, you know, in the winter. They're super distinctive in the snow. So there's a chance you might have seen wolverine tracks and not realized it. Okay. But it's not surprising that, uh, that neither of you have seen one in real life.
0: How many are there? I mean, do we know um, how many wolverines are out there?
3: Oh, that is such a hard question to answer. You know, wolverines are really tricky to study. They are a really elusive species. They don't like spending time around people. They need enormous areas, like way bigger than a grizzly bear or, you know, or or something else that's much bigger than them. They need huge territories. So they're really hard to study. And that means that it's hard to get an estimate of how many there are. In Canada, we think there's probably more than 10,000, but, you know, pinning that down is really tricky, especially regionally.
0: We just, They're really hard to study. So are we in a position when it comes to wolverines where, you know, what? we don't know a lot about them, we don't know how they're doing, we don't know what we're doing wrong, we don't know what we're doing right, there's just a lot of too much don't know rather than (laughs) this is what we need to do. I mean, do we need to know more about them to help them? Hmm. Well, people have said we don't know enough about them for
3: a long time, particularly governments, and they've used that often as an excuse for inaction on conservation or management. And for a long time, that was true. We we didn't know a lot about wolverines, but scientific research has come so far in the last you know twenty twenty years or more that actually we know a lot about this hard to study species now. Um, and that's through a variety of things, you know, from genetic research, remote cameras, um, radio and GPS collars. We know a lot about where they live, what they need, um, and how they're threatened. And so it's not appropriate anymore for governments to be saying, oh, they're data deficient, which is actually the official status here in Alberta under the Provincial Wildlife Act.
0: Wait, that's so the official we, status? Is data deficient?
3: Yeah, it's called data deficient. And, you know, in, um, we did this research recently that, that looked at wolverines uh, around the world and compiled all the research that's, that was available. And it's more than 150 studies in the last 20 years. And most of those are from Canada and they're from, largely from Western Canada So, we know a ton about them in the province, and they live everywhere from, you know, the boreal forests, the mountains, uh, and then, of course, they live in other parts of Canada, too, you know, up north, all the way out to the B.C. coast. Um, so we know a lot about them in Alberta and what they need and how they're threatened. So we have to be using that to make much better decisions about them because this species is not doing well.
0: That's what I wanted to know. So we do know enough to know about how they're doing. How, how, how do we you know, view the wolverine population? Is it dire? Is it getting worse? I mean, bring us an update on that.
3: Yeah, it, so it's getting worse. Everywhere that people have studied um, wolverines, you know, this is from China, Scandinavia, all across North America, research shows that they're declining in some parts of their range. And so in Alberta, we have to really be paying attention to places like the edges of the, the mountains. So things like the eastern slopes, um, as well as how they're doing into the mountains. And then in the boreal forest, it's a little bit different. But because those areas like the eastern slopes, um, the landscape is kind of carved up by different types of human uses and activities, you know, development on the landscape and the things that, that we do. We haven't been doing that in a way that takes the larger system into account. Like as people, we tend to think about what's right in front of us. We don't think about how um, the how it affects animals or, um, or other things across very large landscapes. So we have to be really concerned about how do things like know, a ton of roads to support oil and gas, seismic lines, human activity like recreation. I love outdoor recreation, but all of those things have an impact. Yeah. So we need to make sure that we're doing them, you know, in really careful, sustainable ways so that we're not having animals like wolverines that are super sensitive to this. They have a fierce reputation, but they're actually really, really sensitive creatures.
0: Okay, so if we to take a look at it, like you say, we do so many different things that have an impact on animals all the time. When we talk about wolverines, what are we doing... Wrong. Like, what are we doing as as humans? Is it it still trap? Is that something? Do we still trap them for fur? Is that a problem?
3: We do in some places. And in some places, that is a problem. In some places, it's not. You know, this is a creature that is really slow to reproduce. So, they have to wait till they're a few years old, and then females will have um, babies that are called kits. they have on average two and they only have them every two to three years so that's totally different than an animal like a wolf that has you know a pretty big litter of puppies and they can have them every year um, so Wolverines are really slow to reproduce and they because they need those massive areas to live in they don't share territory with each other very well they do not like living yep. with uh, with other um, members of the same sex. So like a male wolverine defends his, you know, maybe a thousand square kilometer territory against other male wolverines. Yeah, it's huge. Like they're amazing athletes. They go over mountains, you know, you you see them on glaciers, like it's, they're incredible creatures. Um, and people might not, sometimes I think people say, Oh, I saw a wolverine and it, and it might've been more a marmot or maybe they saw a wolf People have to think of something that's kind of like a cross between a German shepherd and a corgi or like a bear cub crossed with a weasel. Um, there's loads of pictures of them online. I think they're really cute. Uh, but we need to be really cautious about how we how um, our development and our activities can affect them.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess recognizing them and, and seeing them would probably help us have a better connection. I just got a text from a guy named Lyle saying, is this a weasel? Is this a wolverine? I saw it <laughs> near Jasper. It, it's it's reddish-brown. That's not a wolverine then, right? Good. Well, they come. They have um, quite a few different colors. So oh, okay. they
3: they're sort of like um yeah, kind of the coloration of a German Shepherd. You know, they're sort of lighter on the on the back and they're brown. Um, they have this uh, often have white kind of spots or flecks on their chest, and those are actually individual to the individual wolverine. Kind okay. of the way that like a tiger's stripes are different. So Lyle. You should upload your photo and the location to this website called Wolverine Watch. And that's um, my day job is with Yellowstone to Yukon Conservation Initiative, and we work with them with Wolverine Watch. And that's to help people, you know, everybody who's out in the bush and, and sees wildlife, sees a wolverine or sees wolverine tracks, can let us know the location of it. And that helps to improve information about where the species might be.
0: Okay, so what do we need to be doing, and are we doing it? Is, is anybody doing a better job of preserving the kind of um, habitat that wolverines need to thrive?
3: We're doing some things that are, you know, that are right and that are good, and the, the, you asked about trapping before. The B.C. government recently made a decision in a small part of southern British Columbia um, to to stop trapping in that area because it was unsustainable. In other places, it might not be unsustainable, but okay. in that area, wolverines are doing so poorly that you know they really need they need all the help they can get. Some of the things we're doing right um, are are protecting areas that are really important for wolverine and other species. So as Canada is looking at how we expand our protected areas, which we absolutely have to do. It's good for people. It's good for nature. We need to think about how we do it responsibly, but it's really helpful for animals like wolverine, and we're going to be looking at that in all across Canada. Um, We also need to think about things like climate refugia. So these are the places that are not going to change as much from climate change. It's not just like this blanket thing that happens the same everywhere. way everywhere. So we have to protect those places that are going to be snowy, you know, long into the, into the springtime, because Wolverines need that in the West to dig uh, dens and have their kits. So we have to protect those kind
0: of places. All right. If we're out and about, you say there's a way you can sort of identify Wolverine tracks. What are we looking for?
3: Yeah. So um, look, I think the first thing people should do is start paying attention to the tracks that they see. And that might be your dog you know, in the snow or in the mud, just notice those tracks and then go online and have a look for wolverine tracks. And one of the things you'll notice, first of all, is wolverines have five toes, whereas dogs have four toes. So wolverines are part of the weasel family and weasels have five toes. They're really big tracks too. Like these are kind of like, you know, snowshoe sized paws for this animal. And they often, not always, but often move in this really weird kind of gait, which is like two by two lope or a three by three lope. So you'll see Three, um, three paw prints together kind of in a line, and then a bit of a jump, and three paw prints in another line. That's the most characteristic thing to look for.
0: Last one. Uh, from everything I've heard about wolverines, if I saw one, I think I'd be very, very scared. Are they mean? Are they aggressive? Or what happens if you see a wolverine out in the bush?
3: <laughs> Nine times out of ten, it's going to turn around and run away, right. like any animal. What about right? that one and time it don't. doesn't turn and run away? <laughs> <laughs> well, With that, you know, those are very, very rare situations. In that kind of situation, you certainly want to, um, that's why we should do things like carrying bear spray, you know, making ourselves bear aware and and paying attention to your surroundings, right? But it's really, really unlikely that 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 would ever happen. Um, That would be super unusual.
0: Hey, I just got a picture. Sorry, one more question from a guy in Airdrie, which is uh, just north of Calgary. Uh, It's... It's a Wolverine, clearly I recognize it, but it's right next to a vehicle and it looks like it's in a residential neighborhood. Do they turn up in cities and suburbs?
3: They might, you know, they do live they do live kind of out into the into the foothills, right? And, and into those areas. It would be unusual if if it was. Um was there? It's probably a young male. Yeah. You know, like teenagers anywhere, right? They're out kind of looking around, they get into trouble. <laughs> he probably didn't last very long. I'm really sorry for him uh that he he was out there um but it's possible yeah that person should totally upload the the photo and the location to wolverine watch um so that they can
0: record it wolverine watch yeah i don't know when this happened but yeah it's a really strange picture hey Aaron, this is a lot of fun and great insight thank you so much for doing this thanks for listening today to hear any of our other interviews you can find them wherever you find your favorite podcast if you like what you hear don't forget to rate and review us